Welcome to Midwretched, the home of the most heartless of the heartland. Join us, Tommy and Mick, as we share the best true crime tales the Midwest has to offer. Let's do it. Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. What? Are you mocking me? No, I just... I gotta gotta switch it up. I don't know. I'm out of things to say. (laughs) You usually just sing. I do. And then I'm like, that's annoying. Oh, I like it. I always expect you to start singing the Welcome Back Cotter theme song. Welcome back. Welcome back. Aw, it's beautiful. I want to introduce our listeners to this amazing beer that I'm drinking. Yes, tell us about it. It's called R-B-G, and it's from a brewery down the road called Exit Strategy, (laughs) and it is a wildflower honey amber ale, and it's so tasty. Yum, and the can is so beautiful. It's just a little descent collar. Yes, I love it so much. I love (sighs) it so much. I just wanted to share that with my listeners. As you should. I would share that I am here with Satan Cat. Yeah. He is in my recording basement with me today. So if you hear me get randomly really mad, it's either that the story is making me outraged or that the cat is doing something awful. Either way. Or both. That's going to be a deal. Or both, probably. Maybe the cat did something awful in this story. Ooh, that would not surprise me, especially yeah. it's local to me. Yeah, again, it's super local to you. Again, we are crazy. back in Indiana. Ugh, you know what? It sucks you in. It's like I moved to South Bend. <laughs> That's because it's a black hole. So we're gonna say goodbye to 2020 and hope that it doesn't God. follow us. Seriously, goodbye 2020. Hopefully, it doesn't stalk us like the perpetrator in this case. <gasps> Ooh, good segue and yeah. natural. Yes, you're getting so much more flexible. I love. No, I've been really working. So my like ultimate goal now, since I've mastered headstands, is I'm trying to do a forearm stand. Mm. That is like the long term goal, and I got to do a lot of back bends to get there. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. That's my 2021 goal. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh well, my 2021 goal is to hear this story. Yes, I am so excited. This story is our very first listener suggestion, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This is our first listener suggestion. So thank you to Christy who suggested this. It was uh, fascinating, to say the very least. And so cool to get a suggestion of something that neither of us had heard of. I'm, If I was here when it happened, I don't know when it happened. So We are going to be headed back to 1999. So Oh, I was not here. Oh. Yeah. Tell me everything. All right. So today we're going back, like I said, to 1999. We're headed to the little community of Valparaiso, Indiana. I love Valpo. We call it Valpo around here. Yes, we call it Valpo. It's like smack dab in the middle of the two of us, too. It is like kind of the halfway point. Yeah, so right between Chicago and South Bend area. So it's northern Indiana. How would you kind of describe it? Valpo is kind of like... A combination of kind of a hip little enclave 
meets like kind of typical Midwestern midsize town. Mm-hmm. There's a small college there. So it's got, you know, like a couple of really nice places to eat. It's got kind of a good like walkable downtown. Mm-hmm. But it definitely still has that feel of like you're in the Midwest. There's a lot of strip malls and um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There is uh, a lot of money in Valpo. Definitely kind of one of our high capita areas for sure around here. Yeah. And Valparaiso is there, Valparaiso University, which is a a great little school. Yeah. So like college town light, I would say like not full fledged, like college totally interwoven in the community kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a really nice, I like going out there. There's good shopping. There's uh, great restaurants, really, really, really good schools. It is not too far from like one of the Purdue campuses. So mm-hmm. you got big Purdue and then you've got uh, Purdue Northwest, which is in Westville, which is not far. And they have like a nice arboretum. So it, it's a nice area for sure. All right. But we're going to start our story out here in Valpo. Yes. Yes. All right. And tonight our story starts with a break in. Ooh. Okay. On the evening of February 2nd, 1999. Lorraine, who went by Lori, and Robert Kirkley return home from work to find their house just absolutely ransacked. But in investigating the house, the only items that they found that were actually missing were personal items, Hmm. including some clothing and several pairs of Lori's underwear. Oh, God. Ew. And what was left behind was more upsetting. Oh, no. A collection of grainy nude photos of Lori (gasps) that had very clearly been taken without her knowledge or consent. Oh, my God. And a typewritten note alleging that Lori was having an affair with another man. What? Okay, so this is already incredibly bizarre. That's how I like to start these. (laughs) Please. Okay, so first question. I like to hook you fast. Yeah, well, you did. So... Um, as a local, I will say also that Valpo is not the kind of place where it's kind of like the classic, like we keep our, you know, windows open at night kind of place. Like it's Mm -hmm. not a small town, but it's definitely like not somewhere that I would feel like unsafe walking in the evening Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So that is a, just like really shocking for Valpo. B. It was really shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my other question, that, that wasn't a question, that was a statement. But my question <laughs> is about the nature of those photographs. Were they, like, taken, like, through a window or, like, or would the person have had to have been in the house, like, with her to take them? They were not taken. Most of them were not taken in the home. Okay. They were taken at the gym, at Lori's job. She worked as a nurse, so sometimes she would change after work. Oh, So nobody quite knows where they were taken from, Mm. but Lori, they were not posed. They were not sexy photos. They were photos of somebody changing. changing. She's okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's incredibly messed up. Yes. So Lori was obviously terrified. Yeah. And the couple immediately called the police as soon as they found all of this and got into the house. Yeah. And... The Porter County Sheriff's Detectives, so Valparaiso is in Porter County. The Porter County Sheriff's Detectives arrived at the scene and described it as absolutely bizarre. Interesting. And had really no leads to go on. 
They inspected the house, took photos, but there wasn't really any evidence of like who did this or how this could have happened. Obviously, they spoke to both Lori and Robert, asking them, has anybody been paying any extra attention to Lori? If they had any reason to believe that this was anybody they knew. Obviously, they asked Lori, are you having an affair? She said, no, I have no idea who would have done this. I, I'm flummoxed and terrified. So do we know where Lori and Robert were when they were gone? Were they like having a date night or was it like, did this happen during a work day? I couldn't find anywhere specifically that said where they were or where they came from. Gotcha. I just ask because it it sounds like it was enough of a planted scene that Mm -hmm. somebody would have known for sure, like when they were coming and going. So somebody was like keeping an eye on the house. Oh, they were. Oh boy. Oh God. Okay. (laughs) Um, so the police didn't have any leads to go on. They kind of just said, I don't know, keep an eye out. Which is often what you're going to hear after a break-in, even a really creepy one. Like, it sucks, but... It sucks, but with no evidence of any person who did this, there wasn't too much else they could do. It's not like you can get a no-contact order or anything like that when you don't have the name of a person. And if you're not, like, a high-profile person, you're not necessarily going to get somebody, like, a police detail to watch your house. Like, I feel like that's something that you see a lot, like, on TV Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, oh, we'll send somebody to watch your house. Like, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. In Indiana, you have your neighbors. (laughs) Yeah. That watch your house. It's interesting that Porter County police came out, which I think is a good sign, because Valpo PD, I'm sure, probably doesn't deal with a whole heck of a lot, but Porter... Like Gary's in Porter County. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crimes. It's a bigger organization. And so I would think like a, a more experienced one. Yeah. yeah. Lori and Robert did install a home security system immediately after this. Okay. Lori cut back on her regular cycling classes and kind of stopped try- changing as much as at work. Basically anything that would have required her to change or otherwise feel exposed or uncomfortable, she cut back on that. God, being a woman is the worst. It fucking sucks. I felt so bad because, you know, in reading about Lori, she was an awesome person. She was super active and super involved in everything, like Mm -hmm. always going to the gym, active in her church, took care of her community, loved her job. And then suddenly she's like feeling kind of this pull to like shrink away from all of that. Yeah. After this violation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge violation. That's really heartbreaking. (sighs) Yeah. But after getting the home security system in, they kind of just tried to focus on the future or keep an eye out, do whatever they could. They were actually planning to purchase a home in the South Bend area because that's where Robert's job was moving to. Gotcha. Lori was applying for jobs at area hospitals she was a cardiac nurse oh cool Uh, how old were they she was 34 at this time okay so they're like in their 30s yeah early 30s and they were hoping kind of once they moved and settled in they really wanted to start up a family and do all of that good stuff yeah obviously the break-in really messed with Lori because she was clearly the target of the attack Yeah. And it was really so much outside of anything that Lori had ever experienced in her life. I mean, she was 
genuinely like the definition of an all-American girl. Like, if you read about her, she grew up in Fulton, Indiana, just a little bit south of Valpo, on a farm with her parents, William and Patricia Jones. Mm. She was just a super, like, bright, ambitious person. She graduated high school as valedictorian. Wow, good for her. Yeah, well, playing basketball, leading multiple student clubs as president, and Mm -hmm. remaining super active in her church. That's awesome. Like, girl has more energy than I can even imagine. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) She always wanted to be a nurse. And when she applied to college, she actually earned multiple scholarships to Purdue University to study nursing. Oh, that's awesome. And that's a great school for that. I know. She graduated in 1987 with distinction from Purdue. That's so cool. Yeah. She initially went on to pursue her master's degree in nursing, But she was actually snagged up really quickly by the Porter County Memorial Hospital to a pretty promising position. That's awesome. Yeah, at the Northwest Indiana Heart Center. Aww. Yeah. I know, right? I just got, like, goosebumps, actually. Like, man, that's cool. I know. This woman is, like, uh, I don't know. She's a hero. Yeah. She is. And all reports were that she was that really awesome balance of a just super caring super attentive nurse but also on point with all of her like professional and administrative responsibilities really in line to work her way up the chain of command over the next several years that's amazing yeah in 1988 she married robert kirkley Aww. and so that brings us to kind of the time of our story like I said, she was 34. The couple was planning to move to the South Bend area, start a family, grow their future, all of that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So Lori and Robert have been married for about 10 years and they're in Valpo. Yep. But they're kind of getting ready to like just move on to the next phase. Yeah. 10 years in Valpo. It's like, all right, next step here. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like Robert too was a really supportive husband. He wanted to do everything he could to support Lori during this time but it again it's not like there's much that he could do it's what kind of like yeah keep an eye out and I feel like as a husband that puts you in such a weird position because it's like I don't yeah. want you to have to give up everything that you enjoy doing but then also he had to be scared too right yeah he's gonna want to make sure she's safe and so like you don't want somebody to have to give up their habits but at the same time you kind of have to encourage them too to keep them safe yeah or at least like find other ways around them i don't know it's it's yeah. rough so Lori returned to work it's a place that she kind of always found a lot of meaning and it was like her place she really excelled there mm. Things kind of were calm for the next few months. There were no further break-ins. The couple began to relax a little bit, kind of feel comfortable finally again, until July of 1999. Okay. Typically, the routine would be that Lori would get home from work before Robert. Mm. And Lori was apparently pretty particular about kind of keeping her house clean and all of that. So she would get home from work, kind of straighten up a little bit, settle in for the evening. And by the time Robert got home, everything was pretty chill and ready just for whatever your kind of nighttime routine is. Yeah. So on the night of Wednesday, July 21st, Robert drives up to the house after work and notices that the garage door was open. Mm. but that Lori's Ford Explorer was not inside. Oh. And all the lights in the house were on. Okay. Then he walks into the kitchen, 
The first thing he sees is a bloody knife in the sink. (gasps) Oh, my God. He turns to see a note taped to the kitchen wall that reads, there's a gun pointed at your head. What? Is this real? This is real. This sounds like a movie script. I know. Good night. How terrifying. Right? This is terrifying. So the note was like intended for Robert. I think it was intended for Lori Mm. because everything was gone by the time Robert got home. Oh. So panicked and kind of frozen, he slowly looks around, but there's nothing to see. Nobody's there. And he begins to look around the house. Okay. The bedroom was ransacked. Mm. And all of his wife's underwear were missing. Oh, my God. And, again, Lori is nowhere to be found. Oh, how awful. So Robert immediately calls the police. Yeah. And, once again, the police get there. They are baffled. There's no immediate clues at the scene as to where she could have gone, who might have done this. They know her car is missing. They know there's a bloody knife. Yeah. Obviously, they make the immediate connection with the burglary from February. Yeah. But it's not like it has to spook them. Oh. Like, this is not like a, oh, wait, bye situation. This is, okay, now we mobilize. Yeah, this is like, all right, all hands on deck. Yeah. We got to figure out what's going on. Good gracious. Now, like I mentioned, you don't have people monitoring your house necessarily, but you got neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Police were able to speak to a neighbor who told them that he had seen a person on a bicycle the day before, so July 20th, Mm. ride up to the home, open the garage door, go inside the house. What? And then about 15 minutes later, close the garage door and leave. Whoa. Okay, so somebody went and figured out how they could get in and what... Maybe even played through, like, how long would it take me to do this or this or that? Yep. Wow. He saw the same cyclist on the 21st. He saw them arrive, open the garage door, go inside, close the garage door. And then about 20 minutes later, the garage door opened again, and he saw Lori's Ford Explorer back (gasps) up into the garage. Oh, my God. Back up into the garage or back out of the garage? Back up into the garage. So Lori got home. What the? F- oh. Okay. So this man gets into the garage, into the home, waits. About 20 minutes later, Lori drives into the garage. Wow. And then sometime later, he sees the Ford Explorer drive away. Oh my gosh. He wasn't able to give a description. But it was something. Wow. Okay. So I guess, I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is why wouldn't you have said something on the 20th when you saw somebody enter your neighbor's house that wasn't your neighbor? But at the same time, like... I I, I have the same kind of knee-jerk reaction. But then if I really stop and think about it, I'm like, okay, maybe it was like a cousin or a right. family member. Yeah, somebody that was coming over to feed the dog or like whatever. Exactly. Yeah. 
especially for like a short amount and especially if they come and go with confidence like that's the other thing yeah I'm coming over to like dog sit or cat sit or like check get somebody's mail or something like that like I enter and leave that home like with confidence exactly so not fidgety not like skulking around not wearing anything weird so like I want to be mad at the neighbor for not saying anything but also I don't know if I would think that would be weird enough to mention yeah, I don't know if I would. I, if I knew my neighbors well, I might. But mm-hmm. if I didn't, it would be like, well, okay. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> so police start the search. They have no immediate leads. Mm. So she goes missing on the 21st. They search the 22nd through the 23rd. On the 23rd, a local boy finds a plastic bag next to the dumpster of his apartment. That's never going to be good. The bag said, please give this letter to Mr. Kirkley. His wife is missing. What is this guy leaving notes everywhere about? This guy is crazy. Seriously. He's, yeah. What the frickity farts? What is in the bag? Inside the bag was a set of keys that belonged to Lori. Okay. And... The note went on once you opened it up. Now, I have parts of the note. It seems as though there was more to it. Okay, maybe redacted for evidence, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the part that I have says, I'm sorry about your wife. She wouldn't cooperate. <gasps> Even with a 44 Magnum pointed at her head. Oh, my God. I tackled her and attempted to cover her mouth. She bit the top of my finger off. I had no plans to kill her, but unfortunately I had to. You will never find the body. Whoa. Whoa. In addition to her keys, they also found a pair of Lori's biking shoes in the dumpster. Oh, that's horrifying. That is absolutely... There's no way that you're Robert Kirkley and you find, like, you get that information and you're not just completely devastated. Completely broken. Yeah. I will, I will, spoilers, this case broke this man. I'm sure it did. I mean, it's insanity. Mm -hmm. It's so, and it's so, like, it's already so far off the grid of normalcy. Not that there's, like, normal crimes, but you know what I mean, like. But, yeah, like you said, this sounds like a weird horror movie. This sounds like an Ashley Judd movie from the 90s. It really does. It really does. And this is reality. Again, Valpo has like maybe 30,000 people, mm-hmm. 40,000 people max. Like mm-hmm. this is not like a bump in town with a lot going on. So this must have also just like completely taken people like the public by oh yeah, complete shock. Yeah. Robert and Lori's family offered a $30,000 reward for any information on Lori. Mm-hmm. And in the announcement, they said that they don't seek vengeance. They're not, they don't even care to punish anybody. They just want Lori home. Mm. Like, we don't care if there's even any legal action. We just want Lori home. Yeah. <sighs> so if this guy likes leaving messages, at least tell us where we can find a body. Exactly. On July 24th, the police found Lori's Ford Explorer burnt out in a cornfield in Laporte. Wow. So although it was burnt out, detectives were able to get a little bit of information off of it. Mm, Okay. They were able to identify a few dents that 
they determined indicated Lori put up a serious struggle to get into the car. Good. I bet she did. There are also numerous bullets recovered from the floor of the SUV. Oh, God. Yeah. So, again, police continued their search over the next few days without a ton of luck. Mm. Now, I'm going to tell you this part of the story, but I will let you know one of the characters changes their story when we get to court. Interesting. Okay. So we do get to court. We do get to court. Yes. God. Okay. This is not a mystery anymore, thankfully. Okay. So on July 27th, so we are six days after her disappearance. Okay. Three women present to the Porter County Police Department. Mm. They are Kelly Malinsky, Sharon Keating, and Ann Staley. Interesting. Okay. Now... Sharon is Kelly Malinsky's mother. Okay. Okay. So Kelly Malinsky is going to change her story mm-hmm. when we get to court, but the other two women remain the same. Okay. So what reportedly happened is Kelly had left for a work trip on July 21st, and she was gone for about five days. Okay. When she returned to the trip, returned to work, all of that good stuff, she had overheard colleagues talking about Lori's disappearance. Mm. Kelly's husband, David Malinsky, worked in the same hospital as Lori. He worked as a physical therapist. So she was familiar with the name. Mm. She heard a voicemail left by one of David's coworkers informing him that they had found Kelly's SUV. Mm. Now... I can't tell you exactly what or why, but all of this left a bad taste in Kelly's mouth. Yeah. The two had been kind of having some struggles in their relationship. Mm. David had apparently been becoming more distant, really Mm. secretive, a little bit erratic. Interesting. So again, all of this just left a bad feeling in Kelly's mouth. Yeah. That day... On the 27th, Kelly called her mom and asked to meet her privately. Mm. So she met her mom, Sharon, in the parking lot of their job. And according to Sharon, Kelly said, Mom, I think he did it. I think he did it to her. I didn't think of Lori. I'm kind of ashamed to say, but maybe David was having sex with somebody. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's a revelation. Okay. That's a hell of a revelation. Yeah, because my question while you were like describing, okay, so she she was a cardiac nurse, mm-hmm. right? And he was a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So while they may have worked in the same facility, they wouldn't be working together. Not so. necessarily. I mean, they might have shared some patients. Yeah. But yeah, it wouldn't have been like they had a close working relationship. Yeah. So it's interesting that he would be like that invested to mm-hmm. where somebody would like call him to tell him by the same token though like i could see going through true crime reality myself right now like i google every day just to see you know if there's something new so. yeah i mean if something happened to one of my coworkers, even if i didn't know them super closely yeah i would still be following it yeah yeah so i could see that being weird if it was out of character 
Mm-hmm. But if it was in character, like it was somebody like you or me that follow everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. I guess the context matters. Like knowing David matters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about David. Okay. Okay. So it's Kelly and her mom. Who's the other lady? So her mom, Sharon, suggested that they call her attorney friend, Anne Staley. Okay. Um, just just for some advice of like, oh, uh, what do, I don't know what we should do. Let's call this lawyer friend. I mean, having lawyer friends is handy. Oh, yeah. I wish I had one. Yeah. Before they went to meet Anne, Kelly said that she wanted to first go home, pack a bag, and get the gun that they kept in their home. Oh, okay. She said she wanted to get the gun because she was scared that David would kill himself if he found out that she had left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's wise. Yeah. So the three women then went to the Porter County Sheriff's Detective Bureau to Commander Mike Veal, Hmm. who took an official statement from Kelly. Now, I don't know exactly what was in that statement, but apparently it was enough for an arrest order. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. For... For David. For David. Well, yeah. For Lori's crime. It sounds like kind of just putting together the pieces as I've been researching this is that he felt that there was at least enough evidence to question him for the burglary. Interesting. And maybe then that would lead to more information regarding Mm. the disappearance. Oh, Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So just kind of, again, true crime brain kind of thinking how you would put that together. I don't know if you could get a warrant for an arrest just based on Kelly's statement. No, but I would get, like, if Kelly was suspicious of an affair because she, for example, found somebody else's underwear in her house. Yep, yep. Those underwear were something that, like, was familiar to, you know, Lori's home, then, like, that would make sense. Exactly, exactly. And that would be enough evidence to connect the dots to get a warrant for that crime. Yes. Interesting. So the police go out to look for David. Now, at the time, David was at his brother's house in Griffith, Indiana. Where's that? That's a, oh, I want to say it's a bit further out, but still in the county. So when we're talking about like Valpo in that area, Valpo's not quite there yet, but like we're almost Chicagoland. So um, closer to the Illinois border, more like closer to Gary, actually. So we're in Griffith, Indiana. David had traveled there, like I said, to see his brother, Charlie, or Charles. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently when he got to Charlie's home, he was kind of in a bit of a panic. Mm. His brother said that David seemed nervous immediately and confessed that he had done, quote, something stupid. Okay. First, he told his brother that his wife discovered a secret room that he had built in their attic. Oh, uh uh-uh. Now we have secret rooms in the attic? Oh, this secret room has some stuff. Oh, good gracious. Okay, I need a drink. (laughs) Bailey's and hot chocolates. It's not like it's hitting too hard, but it's satisfying. Yeah. In the secret room... He had decorated it with pictures of nude women. Ugh. Okay. He then confessed to Charles that he had broken to a co-worker's home in February, <gasps> stating that he did it for the thrill. Oh, my God. Now, then, 
According to Charles' statement, David repeatedly asked for a gun, Hmm. which Charles refused to give him. Smart, because he, he also was afraid that David was going to kill himself. Interesting. Police arrive to Charles's house in Griffith around 10 p.m. on the night of the 27th. Okay. Has David been there pretty much the whole week, like the whole duration of this entire thing so far? It seems like he was only there that day. Got it. Okay. Because we will find out he returned to work. People saw Mm -hmm. David at work also. Got it. Okay. So police arrive around 10 p.m. and... David was arrested and taken to the Griffith Police Department. When he was arrested, he had just arms covered in scratches and bruises Mm. and a significant bite mark on his finger. Wow. (gasps) Just like the note. Yep. The note didn't lie. The note was not a lie whatsoever. That's what's so creepy about it. Incredible. Yeah, because it sounds like one of those things where there's like a false ransom note. Mm-hmm. And really, it was had nothing to do with it. You know? Oh, when I first like was reading about the note, I'm like, that's fake. Yeah. It was yeah. not. It's a diversion. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> but uh, David said that these scratches were from helping his brother move some furniture. Mm. And his brother's like, no, they're not. No, they're wow. not. Yeah. And how do you explain the bite mark on your finger? Yeah, David. I'm glad that she beat him up, though. Oh, yeah. I am so glad she beat him up. Yeah. So freaking glad. I hope she got in some really good shots. Me too. Me too. (sighs) And it sounds like she probably did. Yep. So I could not find a ton of background information on who David was. Well, so that's what I've been thinking about. Like, he's a physical therapist. Uh Uh-huh. According to his co-workers he was a kind of pretty awkward nervous guy Mm. so when i think of physical therapists i think of the ones i've worked with medically or the ones that i work with at work who are usually pretty outgoing super comfortable around people i mean you gotta gotta get up in there when you're a physical therapist yes yes um he was just kind of described as more awkward, more, mm. you know, didn't necessarily kind of have that outgoing sense, but seemingly harmless. Interesting. And so, like, and being a physical therapist, what what we can then, like, infer about his background up to that point is mm-hmm. he's got, you know, a decent degree of education to be able to work as a physical therapist. Yep. He makes good money. Yep. For sure. You know, so he probably is living like a pretty average, like suburban, upper middle class life. Yep. Hmm. So David was also, I mean, he was relatively fit. He was a former football player in high school. Yeah. He was about the same age in his 30s. He had no prior convictions and no history of violence before this arrest. Wow. Are we going to get another look into the stupid attic secret chamber? Oh, yeah. Okay. It it gets a name. Oh. Okay. 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 And this story is tripping me all the way out, dude. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. So, as I mentioned before, David had gone to work mm. a couple of times between the 21st and the 27th. 
Okay. His coworkers reported that he was acting strangely. He was nervous. They described him as hyper that week. Mm, which is what work. Kelly said too, the wife. That yeah. Acting like occasionally manic. Yeah, not, she didn't say necessarily manic, but a little erratic mm. and kind of just off. Okay. So the coworker is saying he was kind of hyper that week, nervous, just more mm. strange than usual. Interesting. And he showed up to work one day without his glasses, hmm. which seemed weird because as a glasses wearer, I don't know how to function without them. No, yeah, literally I can't see. And he had never forgotten them before, so weird. Not to mention all of the scratches and bite marks on him. Right, which are notable. Notable. So for this next piece, so the majority of information that I got for this next part of our story came actually from documents related to his appeal. Oh, interesting. So spoilers. Mm. So he is arrested and taken into custody on the night of the 27th. Overnight, on the night of night slash morning of the 28th, he agreed to give a recorded statement. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Now, detectives read him an interrogation and advice of his rights form in compliance with Miranda versus Arizona. Very good. Very good. Very good. Which Malinsky signed and agreed to make the recorded statement without an attorney present. Okay. In this interview, he admitted to committing the burglary on February 2nd. Mm. But he denied any involvement in her disappearance. Okay. So that was overnight. Remember, he was arrested at about 10, so... We're talking like wee hours of the morning. Wee hours of the morning. Okay. Later that day slash morning, after he gets a little bit of rest, mm-hmm. around 6.50 a.m., he agreed to give a second statement. Okay. Um, this time to the FBI, because the FBI got involved in the disappearance. Ah. Yeah. I love a little FBI involvement. I know. Again, he signed a Miranda waiver with no attorney present. Mm. This statement was obviously inconsistent with the first, because boy can't keep his story straight. Ah. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> oh good he's a dumb criminal yeah yep I love it love it when they're dumb this time he stated that he was romantically involved with Lori oh bullshit and that Lori was unhappy in her marriage and the two were planning to run away together wow but he had a change of heart and he didn't want to run away mm. so he agreed to help her fake her death and her disappearance so that what? she could get away from her unhappy life what 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 i hate this guy so much mm-hmm. now a little bit later that morning kelly malinsky and charles malinsky so wife and brother mm-hmm. sought legal help for david although he was unaware of this so they hired him an attorney mm. and sent the attorney john e martin to the Portier county jail Oh, boy. And the attorney arrived there at 9.45 asking to speak to David. Uh-oh. He was initially told that David wasn't there. And there apparently seems to be some kind of confusion slash obfuscation. Hmm. Okay. So hand him at that appeal. Okay, great. The attorney, John Martin, was then later told that David waived his rights to an attorney. Mm. But David was never informed that there wasn't an attorney, attorney there. Weird. That is so interesting. 
until the attorney petitioned the court to see David. Wow. Okay. By then, the police had what they needed. Hmm. He had given two interviews that weren't consistent, but he had, had at least admitted being involved in the burglary and being in the house that night. Right. And we have the evidence that she put up a struggle. Yeah. And that there were bullets found in the truck. Mm. Do we have his gun? No. Okay. Interesting. That was one thing that I never found is, was it the gun that Kelly took? Yeah. Was it the yeah. same gun? That's my question, too. Which then makes Interesting. me... It makes me question again why Kelly took the gun. Uh-uh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. So charges were filed, but we still don't have a body. Mm. And really the evidence that we have is the car, the note, and David's semi-confession. Yeah, yeah. And his physical state. but And his physical circumstantial. state. Circumstantial. Exactly. And then obviously once the attorney got on the case, he filed to suppress everything because that's what you do. Stating, obviously, that David was denied access to an attorney and his right to counsel was violated. <sighs> now. Jeez. Luckily, the court denied this motion because David had twice waived his rights after both being verbally and in written form given the Miranda waiver. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. fuck yeah, good job, court. Yes. And like you said, David is a physical therapist. He's clearly gone to college. Mm -hmm. There is not an issue of comprehension here. Right, right. So So he knew what he was signing, and he was, yeah, okay. Good on you. All right. Police photographed all of David's injuries, and a forensic dentist was able to determine that the injury to his finger was caused by a human bite. Mm. I love forensic dentistry. I know. Uh, Oh, there's this one really good documentary about, I think it's the Innocence Project. I think it's a documentary made by the Innocence Project. Oh, I love them. Yeah, where they interview like a forensic, two forensic dentists and they like. Cool. It's so good. That's so cool. (laughs) I want to track that down. That's worth it. Yes. Where was I? So the FBI then gets warrants to search David's house. Hmm. Good. Where they recover documents from David's hard drive, mm. which, That's again, good. I love a stupid criminal. Yeah. Detailed plans to burglarize the Kirkley house. Nah. Notes monitoring Lori's activity going back <gasps> months. Whoa. Written typed out plans to steal her garage door opener and the key to her house. I wondered about the garage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he learned how to override her home security system. Oh, my God. It also included notes about possible alibis, the property he was going to take from her home, and how he would plant evidence to mislead investigators. Whoa. Just all typey, typey, typey. Yeah, that is quite a journal gossip, girl. Jeez. XOXO. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you love me. That's insanity. So, I mean, an evidentiary gold mine, though, and I love that. A freaking gold mine. Yeah. But that's not even the best part. Because mm, they still went to the attic, didn't they? Mm, which will, from here forth, be called the porn room. Oh. <laughs> wow, when you said it had a name. 
<laughs> I didn't was say it was a creative name. Quite so on the nose. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so investigation of David's home found the photographs of Kirkley, her clothing, so the underwear that were stolen. All of this evidence was found in the attic space, the porn room, wow. is which what they all started to call it after that. This was a boarded up room in the attic with a triple lock that his wife was reportedly unaware of. Whoa. It was reportedly covered in photographs of nude women. Oh. And this was where they found the computer, the hard drive, all of that stuff. Wow. Now, it's insane. David would go on to insist that this was just an empty space where he practiced carpentry. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they're calling it these days? That's what they're calling it these days. He would practice carpentry and electrical work. And when he eventually learned all of these skills, he would surprise his wife with a bonus room in the house. I don't think that that's the bonus room she wants. Don't think so, David. Just taking a guess here. Now, all this time that they're doing these searches, getting into the hard drive, cracking the porn room... (laughs) Malinsky is in jail. Okay. While there, he apparently made friends with a cellmate who was getting ready to get out soon. Mm. And they were such good friends that Malinsky asked the cellmate, hey, when you get out, can you go find these photographs that I buried? Uh-uh. So, okay, again, like, we don't have a lot on this guy, but just thinking about like building a profile, uh-huh. this is either a real idiot, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody who is so narcissistic and overly confident that they think that they can have things like detailed plans on their hard drive in a hidden porn room mm-hmm. and tell their secrets to a roommate and have full confidence that they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one or the other, right? Yep. And it, it's yeah. interesting because he clearly thinks he's really smart. Yeah. But these are such stupid things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. But it almost makes you wonder if he doesn't see them as risky. Uh, oh, oh, keep all of that, like, profiling just on a shelf. Okay, I'll put it in my rage pocket. Put it in your rage pocket. Got it. All right. So, obviously, his cellmate got out. And went to the police about this. Yay. Good job, buddy. Good job, buddy. That's going to make you real appealing to your parole officer. Uh-huh. We like this. Yep, yep, yep. Snitches get... Rehabilitated. Rehabilitated. Yeah. <laughs> from the information that they got from the cellmate, police were able to find a collection of Polaroids. Oh, no. <sighs> These Polaroids included partially nude photos of Lorraine Kirkley in bondage and being sexually assaulted. Oh, God, how heartbreaking. Yeah. That's devastating. That's it's really rough. Yeah. Poor Robert. (sighs) Were they were the photos like buried in like a field somewhere? I don't I don't really know. I don't know where they found them. Wow. Yeah. It's very likely that they were buried in a field. Again, I think he he thought he was hiding stuff and being super clever about it, but... 
Yeah, I just think there's a lot of country out there, and so you would have had to have like a very exact directions. That's why I ask. Yep. yep. And that actually comes up when they're starting to actually look for the body. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> okay, so the nature of these Polaroids is, is rough. It's disturbing and distressing and... Yeah. Uh, but also, obviously, evidence. Yes, uh, big time evidence. Evidence, because... Again, another gold mine, like a literal gold mine. Because literally this entire time, Malinsky is insisting... Lori's alive. She was just unhappy in her sad little marriage, and she ran away. And I'll, my, I'm only guilty of bad judgment. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, David. Okay, David. The investigation continues through the summer and into November. And actually, the timeline of this for like modern murder trials is actually relatively quick. Yeah. Police gather all of the personal property of the Malinskys. Um, they make copies of all these photographs, all of these documents, and then return the originals in a cardboard box to Malinsky's attorney. Mm, okay. Now, Malinsky says that this is theft. What? Yeah. You no. stole my hard drive. Okay, no. Search warrant is search warrant. I was reading the appeal documents, and I'm like... Boy doesn't know how law works. No, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, wow. All right. So the trial began in January 2000. So like I said, it moved pretty quickly. So question mm-hmm. with the trial. Um, without a body, was he be able to be charged for murder? Yes, he was. Really? Yes. I, I was really surprised, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens, but. So there was still no body recovered at this time. Mm. The evidence that they have is the photographs, the note, the car, and all of the testimony from everybody around him. Do we have any typing on the bloody knife in the kitchen? That didn't seem to come up. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming it was Lori's blood. Yeah. Interesting, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was weird, too. Like, the bloody knife didn't come back around. At least yeah. not in all of the stuff that I was reading. Weird. Okay. So, the prosecution presented the argument that David stalked Lori for months. Right. As evidenced by his literal journal. <sighs> Boy. Yeah. You know what? I like dumb criminals. They make everything else easier. They really do. They <sighs> really do. It's just the it's the complete egocentrism that just drives me up a wall. Like, mm-hmm. You really had that much confidence that you thought that was going to be just like, okie dokie, totally fine. This is fine. I'm just going to like bullet point my entire crime. Yeah, that I love a dumb criminal, too. But the confidence makes me mad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So prosecution presented the argument that David stalked Lori, broke into her home, kidnapped, tortured, raped and murdered her. Wow. Meanwhile, the defense insisted that she was alive, living out of state, and had simply left her unhappy marriage. Jeez. The only thing that David had anything to do with was an affair. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Poor Robert and poor Lori's family. I know. Yeah. I kept thinking about Robert going through all of this, and I was like, this is such bullshit. Yeah, especially when, like, the defense strategy requires, like... What amounts to basically defamation of character. Exactly. You have to paint her as this, like, 
adulterous on the run for that to fly. Mm -hmm. Which, again, in talking about, like, her life and her backstory, no. Yeah. No, she has no history of flights of fancy or erratic behavior or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure if there had been suspicions of an affair that Robert would have been forthcoming with police about that in the investigation. Yeah. You know, because that's an important thing to be forthcoming about when you're Mm -hmm. going through something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So David's co-workers all testified, basically saying he had seemed odd and anxious in the days after the disappearance, that he was missing his glasses. They said that he seemed upset about when hearing about the case, you know, again, like co-workers kind of talking about it, mm-hmm. that he seemed especially upset when he heard that the car had been found. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now, another interesting one, a fishing buddy of David's mm-hmm. testified. Apparently, he had been chatting with David about the disappearance. Obviously, like, not a big town, so everybody kind of knows who this person is. They know all know about the disappearance. Mm-hmm. So this fishing buddy brought it up, and they were chatting about it. He said that he didn't wish anything bad, but he was just really afraid that she was dead. Hmm. And David kind of looked at him and just responded that she most certainly is dead. Whoa. That's a really gross thing to say. It's really fucking gross. Jeez. Sharon Keating, Kelly's mother, testified to the story that we talked about before. Yeah. Now, when Kelly got up to testify, she changed her story. Mm. She said that her mother must have misunderstood what she said, that she only said that she was worried about David and that she was worried he was having an affair. Huh. That's a big change. Yeah, right? interesting she did discuss the secret room in the attic the porn room Mm. she stated that she had found some items in the room that didn't belong to them that didn't belong to her and pictures of women in various states of undress that made her uncomfortable yes yeah same same Mm -hmm. i would yeah would be uncomfortable Yeah. yeah but she said she never said her cousin her husband committed the murder hmm that david was never violent and she echoed what David said that he was just having an affair with Lori. Wow. And that the two had been just having problems in their marriage, and that was the only thing she wanted to talk to her mom about. Wow. Yeah. So that is interesting also because it kind of like tears the mother-daughter relationship kind of aside. I like know. That. I just cases like this are crazy when they like tear apart multiple families too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I I can't imagine what it would be to be in Kelly's shoes in this situation. Right. But damn, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, standing by your man has its limits. And and yes, this is. is the limit, I would say. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely hitting up against a, a ceiling there, for sure. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. No. David's defense continued that he went to the house because they were going to run away together. But then David backed out but said that he would help Lori fake her disappearance. Hmm. Which also just doesn't make any sense because... Doesn't. If the whole reason to run away is the affair and he's not going to go with her, why would she then stage a disappearance? Because she's just that unhappy with her life. That makes no sense. With her beautiful, successful, happy life. Yeah, makes no sense. <sighs> with, I assume, no like prior complaints about any kind of abuse or mistreatment in nope. the marriage. Yeah. Nope. Now, remember, like you said, this trial, this case went to trial without ever finding a body. 
Mm. Now, they searched for months in any suspected areas that they could get a warrant to search. There were several locations that the police suspected, but they just didn't have, like, enough probable cause when they went to the judge. Again, this is a huge, flat farmland area. Huge plots of land owned by people. Plenty of open space. There's all that open space. There's also a lot of wetland. That was that's literally my next note. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yes. Man, are we just like a <laughs> shirt? I mean, it's very marshy out mm-hmm. there. There's lots of like wetland preserves and stuff like that. And the closer you get to the water, the more that's the case. Lake Michigan mm-hmm. it was very swampy, very a lot of marshland. And like so between that and like a lot of the private property on farms, there's not like huge swaths of park out there Mm-mm. that I know of. Um, mostly a lot of private property and some of those uh, like marshland preserves, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. Yeah. It's also pretty close to the state line. So mm-hmm. it also wouldn't, again, it's not a bad idea to take it across state, to take a body across state lines. No. And really what's crazy about like this area, like the Michiana region, especially that part of it is you're not that far away from either Illinois or Michigan either. Mm-hmm. So you've got two borders yep. that you could get to within a 45 minute drive easily. Yeah. yeah. So needless to say, like doing like a body hunt was really hard. Yeah. They even brought in cadaver dogs from Illinois, but even the cadaver dogs weren't able to hit on anything. Wow. So David said that that supported his story, that Lori was alive and she just didn't want to be found. No. No, that's no, that's not how that works, David. He has a lot to say. He oh, he has utterly so much useless to, say. to police. Yes. Yeah. He claimed that Lori told him, I'll call you in seven to ten days after I get settled. What? But that he just never got the call because you arrested me. That's and why I can't help you. So she needed his help to stage a disappearance and run away, but she didn't tell him where she was going. Yeah. That also makes exactly zero sense, David. Yep. How could you have been helpful then if you didn't know? You're not helpful to, to help anyone, to David. No. I hate you, David. <sighs> if you're listening and you sound like a narcissistic butthole, so you probably are, <laughs> I hate you. And you know Michiana what? hates you. Did you do you know what? That a forensic psychologist agreed with you. Good. A forensic psychologist diagnosed him with a personality disorder with paranoia and narcissistic traits. Mm-mm-mm. God, I'm so good. I don't know if I agree with the paranoia. I think the paranoia stems from the fact that he did a bunch of dumb shit. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, I would also be watching my back if I did a bunch of dumb shit too. True. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely agree with the narcissistic traits though. He said that this illness leads him to take advantage of people and lie about it to rationalize. Mm. The prosecutor was like, we don't care. He still killed somebody. Right. And Malinsky maintained that his only problem is a little social anxiety and a Xanax addiction. Just a tad. (laughs) Just, Just have a tad of an addiction. He also said, oh, if there's any contradiction in my statement if my statements don't make sense it's because i get a little goofy on the xanax good night i can't can't handle this guy no mommy i can't no this no this makes no sense i hate him so much and also who's giving you the xannies dude because 
They need to step back, probably. Fun side quest. The psychologist that evaluated him was eventually himself cited for public indecency. Really? Yeah. Apparently, but the forensic psychologist at some point a few years after this had agreed to meet somebody online that he had met online and that they said that they would have sex with him if he picked her up naked. Uh. So he went to a 7-Eleven parking lot, got undressed, got reported for acting funny in a 7-Eleven parking lot, which takes a lot. It does take a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the, the cops tried to pull him over, and he tried to kind of drive away. Whoa. And he, they eventually stop him, and they pull him over. He had just had a sports jersey on and no pants. <laughs> he was Donald Ducking it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this is a, a good time for me to say that, like, despite everything that you've heard over the last couple of weeks, Michiana is a wonderful place <laughs> to live. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly. Oh, my God. I had to include that story because, like, we needed a break. I don't know. Yes. But yes. It, and it, it seems like the psychologist, like, immediately regretted it. Like, he got scammed, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Which, he, like, I mean... He regretted you know. it and resigned in, from his position in the sex crimes unit. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's a bad date. So that, that's my side quest. That's why you stay off of Tinder in Michiana. <laughs> Every other part of Michiana is beautiful. It is a wonderful place to live. Um, and they're amazing marshlands. Yes, they're beautiful. And the dunes. Oh, the dunes are great. Yes, we love the dunes. Uh, so. Again, we gave you Pete Buttigieg. You're welcome. You also gave us Mike Pence. No, I didn't. That's Southern Indiana's problem. Oh, okay. Fair. Yeah. 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 All right. We got to get back to our main quest. We do. Okay. Main quest. All right. So, obviously, the evidence is pretty overwhelming against Mr. David Malinsky. That he stalked, photographed, and developed an obsession with Lori. Right. The prosecution was able to show from the documents they had copied that documents that they copied when they searched the Malinsky home in the porn room that David took advantage of Lori and assaulted her. The photographs clearly showed that what took place was not consensual. Wow. They did have a defense attorney that tried to argue, you can't tell that these aren't consensual, but bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it is bullshit, especially like with everything else around it. You're not going to, in the middle of all that, have a consensual sexual relationship. No. Prosecutors initially sought the death penalty, Hmm. but they went on to drop it, I think most likely because without a body, that one would be pretty hard to pursue. Really hard to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. David was found guilty on seven charges. Wow. Including burglary, criminal deviant behavior, and murder. Hmm. He was sentenced to 155 years in prison. Whoa. Yeah. I am so... I need to Google him now because I need to know what he looks like. Don't. They're spoilers. Oh, okay. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> okay. It's gone. So, 
So David and his legal team immediately moved toward an appeal. Yeah. And he got real chatty. Mm. He loved talking to the media from his jail cell. Oh, good. So I wanted to share some choice comments. Mm. Please do. Now, David claimed that the evidence, including all of the photographs, were obtained illegally. No. They were stolen from him. No. That his attic space was mischaracterized. No. And it was simply a workshop decorated with, quote, tasteful nudes. No. I'm pretty sure no. He maintained that he was having an affair with Lori. We all know that's what he thinks. No. But he also claimed that he had found God since Lori disappeared. Oh, for the love. And I want to share this one little quote with you. To be honest with you, I think I had an evil spirit. I have no words for that. I have no words for that. He was just morally bankrupt and having an affair. And he said, my priorities are screwed up. I should have been focusing on my wife instead of fishing and motorcycles. That's insanity. He's literally crazy. So when he thought he was going to get the death penalty, he also said that he was going to write a book called Only the Good Die Young. Ew. His story. The David Malinsky story. Ew. Now, despite his move toward God and forgiveness, he also took every opportunity to attack the police and the investigation, mm-hmm. stating that As they yeah, they stole from him, they mischaracterized him, he made fun of the psychologist and the evaluation, but he did regret 7-11, but he did regret building the porn room. Okay, well, if you have one regret in this world, let David. Yeah, start there. Wow. His appeals were denied, and by 2000, things started to quiet down a little bit. Mm. Robert Kirkley eventually moved out of Valpo, um, tried to return to kind of a normal life. Mm. Lori's family really tried to grieve, but obviously, like, knowing that she was still out there was always really hard for them. Yeah, that's that closure question. It really haunted the community. So Valpo was pretty kind of close, Several detectives and people involved in the case actually, like, lived relatively close to her. Um, Jim Bonfield, a retired investigator that was involved in the investigation, said that he passed that house every day. Wow. And that they had just kind of always wondered where Lorraine was buried. Yeah. Kelly went on to eventually divorce David while he was in prison. Oh, good. Okay, good. Yeah. She moved... Seems to have kind of gone quiet since then. Mm. And again, I didn't kind of try to seek out any more information on her. But after a few years in prison, something seemed to have genuinely changed in David. Interesting. He began speaking with a prison chaplain regularly. Hmm. And the chaplain started to get really close to David. Interesting. Started to address his concerns. Um... And this time, it seems like he was making a real move toward God. Wow. Okay. Under the guidance of this really amazing chaplain. That's that's good. Right? Okay. Wow. So in 2004, the chaplain started to encourage him to kind of lay your past to rest. And the only way to do that is to completely come clean. Wow. So just slowly chipping away at this guy and slowly kind of like building him. After months of work, the chaplain reached out to the Porter County Chief Deputy, Brian Genzel. He said 
I think Malinsky is ready to come forward. It's I think he's ready to tell us where the body is. Wow. And then he got transferred to another prison. What? Who does that? Dude. But luckily, the chaplain, like, fought really hard. He's like, no, dude, like, this is my job as a prison chaplain. Good. And yeah. he was able to continue working with David. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. good news. But, like, seriously, whoever made that call to transfer that guy, you're a dummy. You're a dummy. He was so close. He was doing it. And then you just put a halt on everything. Yeah, and you're at the state prison. Like, come on. Uh, so he advocated to keep on working with Molinsky, and it was granted. Wow. Thank freaking God. Yeah. And on September 15th, 2005... Malinsky finally confessed to the murder of Lorraine Kirkley. <gasps> he did, really? He did. <clears throat> and he told prosecutors where they could find the body. Nuh-uh. Yes. This oh is so good. God. This is so good. Way to go, this freaking chaplain. Seriously. This guy deserves to be sainted. <gasps> right? Wow. So he told the police that they would find her body buried on his father's 17-acre farm in Jasper County. Oh, wow. Now, apparently, police wanted to check this area, but they couldn't get a search warrant for it. And Oh, that's interesting. On September 30th, detectives searched the area. Eventually, they allowed Kirkley to aid in the search. Oh. He was able to tell them he recalled that he marked the spot with a can of bug spray that he used while digging the grave. Oh, wow. That's interesting. A lot of credit is also due to Stephen Narocki, a forensic anthropologist at the University of Indianapolis, mm. and his team that did a lot of the ground search for this. Wow. Her body was found in a lightly wooded area about 200 yards away from a cabin on the property. <gasps> so they did find her. They did find her. Wow. Her body was wrapped in a brown tarp of thick plastic and secured with nylon straps. She was eventually identified by the Jasper County coroner through her dental records. Wow. It's so heartbreaking and devastating and twisty-turny of a ridiculous case. But there's also a part of me that's so glad for that family. That I know. Can have, you know, a funeral and a burial and do those things that make you feel like you can move forward in some way shape or form mm -hmm. wow and i really i do commend all the people that worked on this case even after the conviction because everything revealed by the coroner and the medical investigation supported all of the findings of the investigation true. that she had put up a struggle all of that wow so were they able to then kind of like put together a timeline of those like those last hours for her? We know that she wasn't killed that night. Oh, wow. Ugh, that's awful. Yeah. Ugh. So Lorraine was finally laid to rest on Saturday, October 15th, 2005. Wow. At Fulton Baptist Temple Church, where she was a devoted member. Aww. The burial and funeral services... Like you said, they finally gave the family some closure, as much closure as you can ever have in the situation. Yeah. Her aunt said, we know where her body is and we know where her soul is. I know it's late, but it's okay. It's going to be okay. Wow. That's a beautiful message. Yeah. Oh. That's a hard one. 
Yeah. It was a super twisty, turny tale, and it was one of those things that just... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to hear that type of depravity and, like, the depravity combined with the complete narcissism of it is, like, Mm -hmm. you do something like that, and all this evidence is stacked against you... Mm-hmm. Just come clean, and eventually he did. And like again, that and it's amazing, yeah. amazing. But it's like, man, I just I hate that, that family had to wait that long. But I'm glad that the wait got to end at some point. So we really can't like can't totally put together that last couple of days for her. But I do think it's interesting that he operated within a radius of control for him. Mm-hmm. Like her grave site was on his father's land, mm-hmm. which is a decent drive from the, yeah. the place the car was found. That's interesting. Yeah. I was trying to find the chaplain's name, and I don't see it in any of my notes. Oh, I want to write him a letter that I, I know. love him. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, I'm. I'm just intrigued by, all, like, I'm always intrigued by what... Like, why killers choose, like, the places that they choose and even down to, like, the routes they choose. Like, it's notable to me that he was operating in a radius of comfort and control for him. Although what the link was to a field in Laporte, we don't know where the car was. Yeah, that was the one. I'm like, mm. I don't. It's all country roads. That's interesting, too. Like, you would be able to do all of that without ever traversing a major highway. Like, the toll road wouldn't be a logical choice. 65 wouldn't be a logical choice. Like, all of that would be, like, country roads, side roads, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I wonder, that is a decent drive from where he would have been. So, obviously, like, to drive the car out and set it on fire, how did you get back? Yeah. Yeah. Did he have help? Yeah. Did he, I mean, you weren't going to get an Uber. It was 1999. Yeah. So I feel like there's still, when I look at this, there's still kind of some of those missing pieces, but I'm at least glad to know, like, she got put to rest. Yeah, it's actually kind of a good way to illustrate, like, yeah, there's missing pieces, but the pieces that really matter are together. You know, Mm -hmm. we know roughly what happened to Lori. We know, we know where they found her. We know she was able to have a proper burial eventually. Like, we know... I guess, like you could say, we know what what it matters most that we know. Mm-hmm. You know? So, wow, yeah. dang! So, thank you for the recommendation. That was a ride. Yeah, Christy. Good grief! That was crazy. <laughs> That's so yeah, unbelievable case, and so like yeah, twisty turny, and it's not quite a redemption for David. But it does show some growth for him. And I'm glad that he was able, whatever that chaplain said to get through to him, I'm just glad it worked. I am too. I, I also like kind of look at it as like really the power of social services yes. in prisons. Like they, they do serve a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're my dream job. Aww. One day. One day. Well, wow. Thank you for uh, destroying me today. You're welcome. I do it at every opportunity. You do. Next week. Yeah. What's happening next week? Next week is our first episode of 2021. 
Yeah, and it's really weird. Okay, so um, what happens when many, many young people on a camping trip in the forests of Iowa Ooh. Yes, converge in the most unfortunate of ways. There's police impersonation. There's um, a lot, a lot of marijuana. I got a real weird one for you guys. Great. Real weird one. Love it. So, Can't wait. Yes, I am looking forward to telling this really, really, really bizarre story. I love marijuana and police impersonation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like people literally impersonating, impersonating, impersonating DEA officials. It's insane. I have no idea what this case is, but now I'm super excited. It's so weird, dude. It's so weird. So yeah, <laughs> buckle up, people. This is going to be a weird one. Oh, I am excited right. to get to tell an Iowa story. So. Yeah, we have not been to Iowa, and I'm so sorry. It's not that we've been ignoring you. No, yeah, and no, I'm, I'm, we're coming, Iowa. We're coming for you. We're coming to the state park. So please come back and listen. Yeah, so that's next week. Come back. Come back, and Happy New Year. Yay, happy 2021. Let's hope that uh, it's not a giant dumpster fire the whole time. Uh, oh, just drink. Just drink, people. And if you don't drink, then do just do what makes you happy. That's, yes. that's the real message here. Do what makes you happy. Yes. And there's lots of artisan soda here, too. Spretchers out of oh. uh, Madison. Yeah. yeah. Do the artisan sodas. Do the artisan sodas. Yeah. Do your lots thing. Lots of options. Lots of options. Just take care of yourselves. Yeah. Drink beer. Do yoga. Eat. I'm just planning my night. Sorry. I know. Is that like our New Year's resolution sign off? (laughs) It's be nice. Eat cheese. Now it's drink beer. Do yoga. We love you. (laughs) Which is also like two big parts of our lives. Yeah. (laughs) All right, you guys. Thank you, as always, for coming back and listening to us. Please feel free. And as today showed us, uh, there is wonderful value to um, <laughs> us getting feedback from you on the socials. The story was crazy, and it came straight from you guys. So yeah, we keep really on telling us that. what to do. Yeah, we like being told what to do. Do it. Yes. 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 Please. All right, y'all. Be nice. Eat cheese. And we, we love, love you. Wow, that was bonkers, dude. That was literally insane. Ew, David. (laughs) David! David sucks.